Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we're getting cozy with Yuki Kinoshita, the creator and co-founder of Pluffle, the dog bed for humans. Have you ever just looked at your dog all snuggled up in its bed and thought, that should be me? Well, Yuki did. And since then, him and his co-founder have done seven figures in pre-sales. They've 11x their Kickstarter goal by raising almost $300,000 in 30 days. They've garnered 20 million views and 5 million likes on TikTok. Their product has been featured on The Tonight Show, Good Morning America, The New York Post, Fox, The Dodo, and many more. In this podcast, you'll hear Yuki's recipe for building in public and how it's resulted in over a million in sales before ever shipping a product, along with Yuki's Shark Tank experience and how he's leveraging it after the fact, and ultimately, why Kevin O'Leary might just be the nicest shark. This podcast is a reminder that you don't always have to let sleeping dogs lie. Sometimes you have to steal their bed. On with the show. The moment that transformed our business is the moment we put it on TikTok. Simple trend video that was like, what do you do for a living? Make dog beds for humans. Kind of a joke. Just showed pictures of our product. Uh, I got like 3 million views in, in a week and now it's up to like 10 million views on that one video. And we went from only our close friends and some people on campus knowing about it to the entire world absolutely going crazy over the idea. Um, we went from having uh, 50 email subscribers to 10,000 in a matter of a week. Uh, so that was just a rush that I've never felt before. I remember I was on my phone, I was about to go to sleep. We had posted this TikTok at like 9 p.m. I had started blowing up like an hour or two later and I was like thinking to myself, this is the moment that things are gonna change. Thousands of people have jump-started their TikTok content strategy using Coley's TikTok Creative Brief template. That's because it has all the steps for successful creator collaborations and best practices to create fun and engaging TikToks. If you haven't grabbed your copy yet, don't worry. Coley just dropped a brand new version of their popular template filled with even more tips and insights to level up your TikTok game. Head to coley.com slash TikTok. That's C-O-H-L-E-Y dot com slash TikTok to download your free copy and start creating TikToks for your brand that people actually want to watch. Yuki, welcome to the D2C podcast. I've just been looking at the Pluffle this afternoon. It, it looks extremely comfortable. Can you just tell me the story of Pluffle? Why did you build this uh, amazing product? Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. My co-founder and I, both college students, just graduated about six months ago. Classic college dorm story. Both him and I were pretty exhausted, stressed out, burnt out from school. Uh, we took a lot of naps, but we didn't love the couches that we took naps on, they're really hard, uh, uncomfortable couches on our uh, econ building classroom. And then we kind of put our head together and we were like, there's got to be a more comfortable way to, to rest and get comfortable or take a break. Uh, and my co-founder actually worked at a college coffee shop uh, and there lived a big Great Dane there. So one day after a really long shift, he looks outside, sees this big Great Dane napping in this even giant dog bed. And he has this mode of inspiration. He's like, damn dog beds, but for people. So he has this crazy idea. He goes and tries a dog bed, but actually finds that it's not that comfortable. Um, it doesn't support his weight. The material's obviously not made for people. And he gets absolutely covered in dog hair. So he texts me and he's like, Yuki, I have the best idea ever. Dog beds, but for people. And I'm like, oh my God, what the heck? That's so funny. Uh, but I love it. That's crazy. I love it. Immediately after, we go over the internet as anyone would do and look all over pages and pages and pages to see if anything like this has ever been made before. And we literally find nothing. So we're like, either this is a good thing, this is something that people just haven't discovered yet, or it's a bad thing. This is something that no one wants. That's why it hasn't been created. 
But, you know, at that point, we didn't really care. Uh, we're college students. We had nothing to lose. We just wanted us something better uh, to sleep in uh, during class or outside of class. Uh, that's all it was. Uh, and then, yeah, we, we went and put all our time we had to, to making a prototype. I worked with a local seamstress. I got a bunch of pillow stuffing from Ikea, uh, blew it into this hand-stitched case, and created a very first prototype, which was an absolute hit amongst all our friends. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the start of it. And uh, there's a lot more beyond that point, but I'll just uh, start there. What's the psychology of why? Because it's like you look at a dog sleeping and you're just like that. They're the most peaceful. They don't have any of the worries that I have. They're, they're you know, totally cozied in there. Is that kind of the psychology you think about why people view dog beds as a, a more cozy experience? Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of dog beds are actually made uh, to be therapeutic and stress and anxiety relieving. So those kind of same effects, people can experience that too. And, you know, you might be surprised. Dogs are not that too far off from, from people <laughs> and how they feel. So if it's good enough for a dog, you know, I think it can be good enough for a person. Uh, obviously, you know, we made changes to, to the classic dog bed. We uh, completely changed out a lot of the material uh, to be even softer, to be, you know, more suited for human skin, uh, much more supportive base, actually use a real foam, memory foam base and stuff like that. But other than that, yeah, the concept of curling up hugging something, being enveloped. People love the fact that there's this border around you. Um, it really is just comforting. Uh, and that's something that we've, I think that's really worked well for us. And so you you come up with the idea, you love the idea, you, you work with a seamstress, get it all built out. Uh, how did you validate the idea beyond it being like a cool idea that, that you guys like that to find that this is something that other people want? Yeah, this is the crazy part. So we just started off by uh, getting all our friends to try it out. And quickly the word spread around campus that these two crazy guys had created a dog bed for people. Uh, honestly, we had a lot of mixed reviews. Some people were like, why the hell would anyone buy this? So I think a lot of people were like, wow, this is the best thing ever. So it was pretty polarizing. And we had a lot of people try it out on campus. So that was kind of great. We got local validation. But the moment that transformed our business, I talk about this over and over again, is the moment we put it on TikTok. Um, simple trend video that was like, what do you do for a living? Make dog pets for humans. Kind of a joke. I uh, just showed pictures of our product. Uh, I got like 3 million views in, in a week. And now it's up to like 10 million views on that one video. And we went from only our close friends and some people on campus knowing about it to the entire world knowing about this concept and absolutely going crazy over the idea. Uh, and we had a landing page at that point. Uh, we went from having uh, 50 email subscribers to 10,000 in a matter of a week. Uh, so that was just a rush that I've never felt before. And I think I remember I was on my phone. I was about to go to sleep. We had posted this TikTok at like 9 p.m. I had started blowing up like an hour or two later. And I was like thinking to myself, this is the moment that things are going to change. And we have a lot to do ahead of us. <laughs> um, but I was really excited. Very cool. So what did you do once you got this groundswell of interest? You've got a ton of organic traffic. I don't know if you had a website up at this point, but where, where was that traffic going? What did you do to vault that attention into your next moves? Yeah, so all we had was a landing page, which honestly worked well for us. Really simple. All you could do was put your email. So it gave us a few weeks to generate hype, which in hindsight, we didn't realize how important that was. We thought that if people watched our video, then they would forget about it immediately. But thank God we had captured their emails. So you know, that was going well for us. And we was always planning to launch a Kickstarter, but we were like, we'll launch a Kickstarter once school's over. But since this happened, we were like, screw everything, drop everything. I, had, I was in the middle of writing my final dissertation, put that to the side and put all the time we had to uh, launching and building out our Kickstarter campaign, uh, which 
we, funny enough, originally we we're going to launch it, uh, I think four days after our viral TikTok, which is a crazy timeline. But as a result, our video for Kickstarter was terrible. It was made on an iPhone, edited on an iPhone. It was just us talking to a camera for two, three minutes, the most boring, unengaging video that doesn't even show the product. And we were this close to posting it until we had this last minute realization. We're just like, wait, we cannot post this. Like, I don't know what struck us, but we're like, we cannot post it. This is not a good video. So we spent the next two weeks. We had everything like, we had all the announcement posts ready, say we're gonna launch tomorrow, all that stuff. We put everything to the side and say, hey guys, we're gonna need two more weeks. Spent that time making a killer video. Uh, and thank God we did, because I really don't think we'd have gotten a fifth or the sixth of the, the revenue we did uh, if we hadn't uh, improved our video. So that was kind of a last last minute inside uh, scramble that happened uh, with our Kickstarter. Just for people at home, because I'm just on your on your TikTok page now, and I see you've got almost 200,000 followers, almost 6 million likes, which is just crazy. So when you're mentioning the video for Kickstarter... Is it a totally different style of video than has worked on TikTok? Or is that sort of originally what you filmed? You sort of originally filmed a TikTok and then you realized you wanted to make a more pro version for Kickstarter? My question is like, what's the difference between the kinds of videos you're making for TikTok and then this hero video that you got to make for um, Kickstarter? Yeah, it's totally different. Uh, TikTok, usually, I mean, length is 10 to 20 seconds, does best on TikTok. And you need a good hook. And our hook for the viral TikTok was... Oh, so you make dog beds for humans. People were like, what the hell? Uh, so that you know caught people the attention. And then we put pictures after like the first four seconds and that you know retained their attention. Video, if you are able to retain attention throughout the, the video, uh, TikTok pushes out your uh, video out and you get you know the views, the likes, all that stuff. Uh, for Kickstarter, very different. Um, you have a lot more of people's attentions because people are about to spend money on your product. So um, TikTok, you know, people aren't, aren't necessarily going to purchase right away. You, you, that's a good way to get like top of funnel, you get the awareness, but um, you need a lot more to convince. With Kickstarter, you really are, people are coming to your website to be convinced to be purchased. So you can have a much longer video. I would say around two minutes is probably the best, um, but it still needs to be like product focused. But um, the videos that do really well also have a story to support it. Uh, so you still have to have a good product. It has to talk about the product, but the story has to be there too. And when we first shot our first video, it was story only, no product. Uh, that was the issue. Uh, but then we revised it to be product focused, but still have a really good underlying story uh, and narrative behind it. And I think that's one of the reasons why our Kickstarter did pretty well. And what? how well did it do? Yeah, so our original goal was $25,000, uh, but then we did $280,000. So uh, pretty good. And we didn't really spend much in marketing, maybe $10,000 $10, on marketing. How does, so I haven't ran a Kickstarter before. Is that marketing within the Kickstarter environment where you're just trying to get more attention from the people in the Kickstarter environment to your specific product? Yeah, so from what I understand, we're not on Amazon, but it ranks sort of similarly to how Amazon works is that uh, you have to have a really good first day. So that's why before you launch, you should have a big email list of people that are primed and ready to go. And our email list was primed because they thought we were launching two weeks before. So they're really antsy and they, you know, we kind of faked them out in that sense. Um, so they're ready to like flood our page and ready to click buy. Uh, so that, you know, really worked in our favor by the time we actually launched. So we had a great first day. We met our $25,000 goal uh, in the first hour. Uh, and it was crazy because I launched the campaign from our phone. My co-founder and I uh, were right outside my exam room. This was one of my first first exams of, of my exam season. I go to the exam. I finished the exam in about 
40 minutes maybe, or maybe it was like 40 minutes an hour. The exam was supposed to last like three hours. I leave uh, right away as soon as I finish. First one to leave the classroom. Uh, and by the time I left and turned on my phone, we had already met our campaign uh, goal. And that was just a crazy moment for us, uh, for, for me too, especially leaving the exam room to seeing that. Um, but yeah, overall, um, our campaign went really well. The first day, you know, we did really well. And then we got a lot of organic eyeballs through Kickstarter. So a lot of people just like to go on Kickstarter and browse around and look at new ideas and shop. So we were kind of like trending on Kickstarter. So that got us a lot of revenue as well as the already uh, interest shown from TikTok. And then we got a lot of cool organic press features like Jimmy Fallon did a little segment on us talking about us. Um, Fox News did a little segment on us. Uh, you know, a lot of these other like big press media functions just talked about us, talk about the product just because it was a viral product that, you know, was beneficial for them to talk about as well. It's your hook. It's just, it's dog beds for humans, right? And instantly that conjures up so many visions of dogs comfortably sleeping and oh, wouldn't it be nice to, like, it's, it's amazing how powerful that one sentence is. And I'm on your TikToks. The other thing that I'd say that's really interesting is that you came at it not from like a, like even just you saying like, I run a business where I make human beds out of dog beds or whatever, right? Like, and you're not just saying, here's a product. Do you like it? It's like, I'm on an entrepreneurial journey. And I think I look at your most popular videos and I see the other one too. That's about like, you know, my professors told me this was a dumb idea or whatever, but I like that you're doing it. And it's cool to see as someone who promotes entrepreneurs that you're, you're crossing the lines kind of between like entrepreneurial celebrity and like people just loving the product as well. Is that something that you've always consciously done? Yeah, definitely. I think we've made an effort to just be as founder forward as possible. And you know, we really didn't know if that was a strategy that was going to work out or not. But I mean, at that time, no one else is going to market it except us. So it happened with sort of a need of who else is going to really talk about this product other than me and Noah. But the other thing we really did or made sure of uh, was that we didn't really try to come in from like a sales angle. Um, I think a lot of companies like try to like only talk about their benefits or like just push out the product, push out the product and only do the product. We really came at it from like a fun more humorous angle. And that doesn't always work out. We always see mixed in like product features and all that stuff. But especially early on when our product was solely a prototype, there's nothing other than it was just a human-sized dog bed. So all we could do was just have fun with the product and try to make eye-catching content that people would just enjoy as the piece of content rather than they felt like they're, they're something they're getting sold. And you've committed to it in a way like I, I meet so many founders and, and uh, who, who recognize the potential that's on TikTok for, you know, the most organic traffic that's ever been available to marketers or entrepreneurs ever, maybe since, since, since maybe the early days of Google. But so many of them are intimidated by it or they do one and they maybe they don't commit to it. They don't want to be in front of the camera. It seems like you guys really committed to content production as a way of growing the business. Like what's your what's your strategy going forward? Do you have a do you have like a quota? Are you trying to do a certain number of videos per week? How does it work? Yeah. So when we first started, um, <laughs> we spent way too much time making these videos. And some of our videos, oh, if you scroll far back, it's kind of embarrassing. We, we try to like do the dances and stuff like on TikTok as well, completely unrelated to Pluffle. Because uh, we were like, this is what TikTok was. And we would spend like half the day just like trying to learn one dance. It was absolutely a waste of time. So there's been a lot of trial and error. And it's not all like, not all viral videos, not all successes. Um, but that's one thing, you know, my co-founder have not been afraid of is we just try everything and 
you know, we still don't know what works, what doesn't work. I don't think anybody does. But at the end of the day, it's just you got to keep trying, got to keep testing new formats and um, seeing what works and seeing what doesn't and just learning and iterating from there. But our strategy now is, yeah, we're still very content focused. As sort of everyone can tell, co- organic content is really powerful right now, especially because paid ads is uh, really expensive. And we actually don't spend almost anything on paid ads. We just do it purely for experimentation purposes. Uh, and our sole driver or big driver of sales to this date is still organic content. Uh, and I think it's so important to create good organic content or at least create organic content because what happens is that TikTok can be a great testing platform. You go on there and you see, you post videos, you know, you can post anything on TikTok pretty much. And even if it's a flop, it doesn't matter. Tomorrow, you'll just post another video and you'll do something else. And what you can do now is you can look at the videos that do well on TikTok and then select the videos that you like and then repurpose them on Instagram. So there's videos that, for example, have only gotten, let's say, 10,000 views on TikTok, but then we post on Instagram and got a million and a half views. And there's obviously videos that also get like, 5 million views on TikTok and then we post on Instagram and get like 5,000 views. So it doesn't always work out that way, but content, having content is so important because again, Instagram is one place, but now you can post on YouTube shorts, Facebook reels, Pinterest now has video form. Like every single platform is introducing a TikTok type content and you're able to repurpose it. So having that is really powerful. And it's, I think it's really worth uh, my co-founders I time. We block off like, you know, four to five hours every Sunday just to to make videos and yeah, I feel like we're slowly but surely improving our style and we're getting a hang of what's what's good and what's not good. And you're getting, I'm just looking, scrolling up here, you're getting like consistently good, you know, tens of thousands kind of thing of, of views, which is, which is really cool to see. And I loved your point about like, cause I know so many, you know, coming up in, you know, with Instagram as like the main source for things. It's like people, I remember they're like, if it doesn't get a certain amount of likes or engagements or whatever, you delete it. Like you get it off your feed because it like brings your whole feed down. But I don't know, A, if that's still relevant even on on those platforms, but that's just not how TikTok is. TikTok is so constantly voracious for content that you just don't need to feel shy about putting it up there and keeping it up there probably. Exactly. Yeah. You really shouldn't get like your two focus on the TikTok metrics because it's really random. And like in the beginning, my co-founder, I would get really discouraged if we put a lot of effort into a video and didn't do as well as we helped. But then we just learned that it's part of the process. And, you know, it's it really is a volume slash, you know, const- constantly but surely improving quality as well. You mentioned ads that you're just, you're not, you don't have like large, you know, consistent ad, ad scales, but you will be doing tests with ads. Can you give me an example of a test that you'd use uh, ads for? Yeah, definitely. So another part of why organic content is great, we actually repurpose some of our top performing TikTok videos um, and turn them into ads as one format. So that's one of our formats. Another is just a graphic. We're kind of learning from other people as well. Uh, whenever I see a cool ad, I always save it. And you know, it's really a trial and error process for us. We personally don't have any experience with ads. So we're just learning, just like how we learned how to you know, make organic content. And I'm sure we're going to make a bunch of mistakes. <laughs> and I'm sure the agencies that are listening right now are probably like salivating. They're like, these guys definitely need us. Um, but um, yeah, we're again, it's great that we don't really have to rely on ads to drive our top line right now. Uh, so we have the luxury to start small uh, and not sort of blow out our budget on on spending ads and really just like, hey, if nothing is working, if ads aren't working, we'll just turn it all off. We'll still get uh, consistent uh, baseline revenue, or we can at least expect a consistent baseline revenue from from organic content. So um, yeah, definitely a lot of trial and error going on and learning from people that are, that are good at running ads. Um, there are definitely a few people out there and they've been a huge help to helping us figure it out. Building your organic content base is so critical. And I love your point. We talk about it on almost every podcast, but just how you know, repurposed good organic content can be just so good for ads as well. 
because it has that authenticity that, that people are looking for. And I, I imagine uh, that's those have been some cool experiments for you. Did you know that 71% of U.S. consumers plan to shop online during the holiday months or that 62% of them want to be reminded about your offers via email? To discover how shoppers plan to spend this holiday season, download Wunderkind's 2022 Consumer Insights Report. It's full of vital data surrounding preferred shopping locations, communication channels, purchase influences, and more. Visit wunderkind.co DTC to download the Consumer Insights Report now and find out how to reach your customers. That's wonder, W-U-N-D-E-R, kind.co slash DTC to download today. So where are you at now? You launched on Kickstarter, and I want to—I do want to get into Shark Tank because that's such a unique experience that you just had. But before we dive in there, like where where's the business at right now in terms of of launch and sales and all that? Yeah, so uh, it's going pretty well. We did two crowdfunding campaigns. One was on Kickstarter, uh, one on Indiegogo. Uh, we did about four hundred thirty thousand dollars in pre-orders there, and then we transitioned directly to our website. So we've been just continue to take pre-orders. We've never stopped. Um, and some people, you know, like that strategy. Some people don't. I personally think it's great uh, early on. There's definitely some risk to it, uh, but we've just decided to continue to take pre-orders. Uh, and then we're close to really close to crossing the seven-figure mark uh, in our first seven months. So we're really excited about that. Uh, and then we have our first ever production run. It's landing. It's in Utah. We have two warehouses: one in Utah, one in Kentucky. It's landing in about two weeks or maybe a week and a half, which is really close. Uh, we're actually going to fly out to a warehouse in Kentucky, get a big U-Haul or a big truck, don't tell U-Haul. We're going to potentially wrap it uh, and uh, drive it all the way up to Canada, where we have a few orders to fulfill. Uh, and then uh, on the way, we're going to be hand-delivering our, our units and trying to get some like local press interviews and turning into a big, again, content, vlog, whatever it is, uh, and telling our story of how we this is our first ever production run. And to do this, we're going to be hand-delivering, meeting our customers and getting their stories and stuff like that. So super excited about that. And just to go to also cities I've never been to uh, in the U.S. Uh, so, And so this will stock up all your close to seven figures of pre-orders, which is congratulations, fantastic. Um, and then how much will that set you up for scale in the future? Like how much of an intensive process is the manufacturing of this product? Like, do you think you'll be able to sort of like hit the scale button pretty quickly, you know, now that you've got the production run through? Yeah, it's tough. It's a long process. It's, you know, two months for production. Right now, actually, shipping has gone down from two to one month. So we can get the product to our, in our hands about three months, which isn't too bad. But every time there's like iterations that we want to make, and that actually takes a lot of time. We've not been able to make as many changes to the product or like provide new additions as possible just because our base model has gotten so much demand that we're not really able to keep up. So that's where a lot of our focus goes to. And in terms of scaling, yeah, I mean, every single dollar that we're making right now is just going towards um, leveraging better terms, um, better prices, better costs, and just scaling up our orders as much as possible. Um, but it's tough, yeah, because we're almost already sold out of the next run that we're having going. And uh, yeah, it's just like constantly a battle of like trying to trying to stay in stock or trying to be in stock at some point, which is obviously a good problem to have. <laughs> have you thought of bundling real dog beds with human dog beds? Because I can't, I, every person who wants one of these and also has a dog would love to have a picture of them in their dog bed next to their dog in a real dog bed. Yeah, potentially. Um, we had some requests to make dog beds. Um, our focus really is more for like um, optimizing for human comfort. And that's where it really focuses. So we have 
a few products that we might be able to launch within the next few months um, that are going to be really complementary to the product. I won't say just yet, but um, so that's where our focus is going to be. But I think eventually, yeah, I mean, um, making this smaller or making a version for dogs uh, could be an option as well. The other thing I see is you've got all, all your uh, all your content features, you guys, millennials, or maybe you're Gen Z, uh, you know, young young people. It's also like as a parent, like this kind of thing is just like a dream. My daughter, if we had one of these, my daughter would just love it, right? It'd be her boat. It'd be it'd be everything for like a playhouse too. So that I feel like that's a real angle and market that you guys have as well. Yeah, we have yet to explore so many markets. I think there's a gaming market. There's obviously the children market. And one of our road trips, we're actually gonna try to visit some uh, schools. Uh, and uh, give out the pluffle and donate a pluffle to maybe a to elementary school or even like a preschool and just get the reaction of the kids like jumping on it. And uh, I think that'll be a really great piece of content. But beyond that, yeah, I, I know a lot of pregnant mothers have reached out and saying that they want one or they ordered one because they see this helping them while they're pregnant. And um, the kind of the plush built-in pillow bolster, they love that and they want to hug it and stuff like that. So yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, market potential there. It reminds me of like weighted blankets and things like that as well, right? It just gives you this feeling of comfort being a little bit more enclosed than, than on a regular couch. I, I... Yeah, so we actually, with almost all our photos, if you see, they're weighted blankets we use. And uh, yeah, it really is, it almost feels incomplete when we don't use a weighted blanket. So that definitely may be something we're, we're considering. Um, oh, I think there's a little hint in there, so I, <laughs> I won't pursue it. Um, okay, let's talk uh, Shark Tank. So uh, I see that there's, I, I'll catch up afterwards on the four-part uh, TikTok that you have about it as well. But how did it come about first? Start there maybe. Yeah, so it was way back to the viral TikTok. So this really, I guess, changed everything for our business. But um, once our viral TikTok was out, we had been contacted by an executive producer. Uh, we totally thought it was a scam. We did like reverse email searches. We looked them up and we totally didn't believe it because we were like, there's no way. Um, but yeah, it turns out it was real. We got on a call with them and uh, yeah, the rest is history. Tell me how it went. Like, I guess every, everyone that I know has a Shark Tank story about like what was actually seen versus what they went through. Uh, is your story similar to that? I know you guys had a happy result with with a, a two million dollar investment round, so congratulations on $200, that. Two hundred thousand dollars. Oh, sorry, two sorry, two hundred thousand dollars. You wish. <laughs> and what what did you take away? Like besides some funding, like what did you walk away with from that experience? Yeah, so the process is a lot longer than people expect. I mean, I guess I don't really know what people expect, but we got the email first in March, but obviously we didn't tape until July. So the next two three months was. A lot of intensive planning, meeting with a lot of people, a lot of calls and meetings with our producers, and uh, nailing every little detail down. They're really detail-oriented, as you might expect. So that was a lot of work. Um, before the pitch, it was pretty stressful because we were so early, we didn't even have a final product until maybe like a week before Shark Tank airing, or Shark Tank recording, I mean, uh, back in July. And our manufacturer had sent the wrong pieces of foam to the studio. And it was not enough time for them to remake and then send another one. So we had to get a piece of foam cut locally in Seattle. We manually vacuum sealed it, stuffed it into our suitcase and brought it down. So about 15 minutes before recording, we had to go in there and like disassemble the pluffle and like do this whole like jigsaw thing where we figured out which foam fits in which pluffle. Uh, and that was really stressful. Noah and I were like completely sweating uh, minutes before a pitch. 
and they had to literally like take off our shirts and like blow dry it uh, because we had like pit stains <laughs> before walking in. So that was pretty crazy. Uh, other than like the actual pitch, we we did break it down on our TikTok, like exactly our experience and what happened. So if you're interested, you can check us out there. Um, but after the deal, as I mentioned, again, the TikToks we posted went super viral. We had one that, you know, talked about the Sharks experience that got like 9 million views. Another one um, where we broke down the pitch got like 4 million views. So that's something that's really, I think, like not talked about is when you actually go in Shark Tank, the airing night, the traffic you get there, the sales you get is there is phenomenal. But what you can really do is take that and now you're a Shark Tank brand forever. And you can create so much content in ads. You can talk about how you've been seen on Shark Tank and your TikToks and everything. You can always just bring up Shark Tank. And, you know, Shark Tank, everyone loves Shark Tank. Who doesn't love Shark Tank? So it, it really is just great for our brand and our continued traction and getting ourselves imprinted in, the, in that world. It's a huge cultural force. And that ability, you know, it's funny, the agency that we're partnered with, Pilot House, uh, has worked with a ton of different um, brands that have been on both Dragon Stand and Shark Tank. And every single time we have one of those clients, we build a, a pre-sales page. And I imagine for something like you guys, once once you do get to the ad scale phase, introducing things via a landing page where you're like, cause it's a novel concept. It's a new thing that people don't really get or may, they get it actually as soon as you say it, but it's made, they may not have experienced it before. So a sales page that like walks you through your shark tank experience. And again, it also really resonates with what's worked really well for you on the TikTok side, which is that professional, I'm an entrepreneur. I created something type approach that really resonates with people as consumers as well. Definitely. Yeah. That's something we would actually love to create is yeah. Like that dedicated landing page. I've seen that with other Shark Tank companies and I think it's really great. Um, so it's the ultimate social proof, right? Like if you're an invested, which, uh, was anyone a hard ass? Was, were there any hard asses there? Yeah, I would say Emma Greed was, was not a huge fan. I think she just, I think maybe culturally or just didn't really get it um, in general. Uh, she didn't really try it. So I wish she had tried it and then given us her honest feedback. Um, no one really like had anything bad to say about the product. Um, I think just Emma Green and Robert didn't get it. That's all it was. And then surprisingly, Kevin O'Leary, I really thought he wouldn't like the product. I thought Robert would love the product. And I thought Kevin O'Leary wouldn't. Kevin O'Leary like gave us an investment or like said, like, you know, he gave us an offer. So that was really surprising. Um, especially because he was kind of making some faces while people were trying it out. So um, yeah, that was great. That was surprising, but uh, it was nice to, nice to get an offer from Kevin. So here's a question. Did you do it? I guess, like, what was the mix for why you did it? Do most brands go on Shark Tank at this point more for the promotion, the exposure, the marketing material, or was it for the, the financial slash strategic partnerships with the Sharks? Yeah, I think any company would be lying to say that they don't go on Shark Tank for the promotional aspect. But I think being such an early stage company, um, getting like that stamp of approval and validation that, hey, this is a company that's investable um, this early on, I think is a great thing. Um, and honestly, we were talking about like, you know, what's the lowest valuation we take? Uh, which sharks are we going for? And really on our list was Lori first and then Mark Cuban second. So to be able to get both of them, genuinely, like it was like, a crazy rush for us and it's funny because in part of our pitch they gave us the offer and then i turned to noah i'm like to discuss with them um but robert's like yelling at us what is there to think about because deep down we knew that we'd take that offer but we've been told by the producers to create a little bit of drama and then martin noah and i agreed that we would like chat about it just to look cool on tv i loved how people did it i loved how people when they had the little sidebar thing so we wanted to do it but noah got so overwhelmed by like robert yelling at us to just like take the deal that he like 
they didn't look at me and like blurted out like a counter offer, which which got promptly denied. <laughs> so that was a really funny moment. Um, I'm not sure how well it was captured, but I remember like thinking, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> we're going to look so bad. <laughs> but, Unless you would have said yes, and then you would have been glad you shot a shot, but you ended up getting the deal that you wanted, essentially. You went in saying, okay, this is what we'd accept. So they, no, they doubled the equity amount. So we went for 200K, 10%. We knew that was honestly historically for Shark Tank. It was a bit of a high ask, but we know that they love having the equity. So it was actually very expected that they would counter with something like that, or they would offer us something like that. And then once you kind of have Mark and Lori both on board, it's really hard to make them budge on their initial equity level. Um, so we didn't really feel like asking for more money. Um, so we were pretty happy with the deal and we just, we just took it. Very cool. And then the aftermath of that, like a, have, have there been, has the financial terms closed? Can you comment on it? And then have the things that they promise in those interviews, like, Oh, I've got the connections for this company and I've got these connections. Like does that aspect of the benefit of Shark Tank come through? Yeah. So we're still in the process of closing some things out. We just have a few like due diligence items to finish up. And after the show, they're really busy too. So uh, it kind of slows down to be fully transparent, but yeah, we're still working on it and figuring out sort of all the details but other than that, yeah, it's hard to say. I, th- I think, well, hopefully, you know, they, they do sort of provide the things they provide. It really does depend, I think, on the business as well. Uh, if the business is growing, they'll just pour more, more fuel on it. And they think your business is faltering, you know, they may not be as involved. At the end of the day, they're investors, uh, they're business people, they have a lot of things to do. So I think you really just got to prove yourself. And, uh, but I've heard from other Shark Tank companies that, you know, if you shoot Mark Cuban an email, he'll respond to you within a day. Uh, same thing with Lori. Uh, Lori's husband is actually the one that manages, handles a lot of her investments, and he's been really great to work with. So, um, yeah, so far, all, only positive experiences. I emailed uh, Mark Cuban one time out of the blue when I had an advertising startup because I heard he had invested in a similar advertising startup, and he responded to me cold within five minutes. Wow. Uh, yeah. I've heard that, but yeah, I still don't know how he responds to emails so quickly. Like, I'm sure he's like a billion times busier than me and I struggle responding to emails within an hour. So what are your goals for 2023 with Pluffle? Yeah. So our goal is to really get these to people's houses, as many houses as possible. And that's a simple goal, but you know, in 2022, we weren't really able to do that. We were just able to market it and get the idea out there. Now we want the product and everyone's homes, as many people's homes as possible, but also get it, uh, expand the use cases. We want these in offices. A lot of Companies have reached out to us, smaller companies, saying that they love to experiment to have these in offices. That's one of our goals. Launch a new product. Uh, we actually want to launch two new products next year. Um, and then as well as expand internationally a little bit and seeing uh, how we can like start shipping internationally once we sort of establish our uh, domestic production cycle. I feel like they need these in WeWorks. Like if you're in a WeWork, you want to have a dog human bed like that. That, that would really help them attract entrepreneurs. I think if people could take naps in dog beds. Yeah, technically, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but we did film, we did do a photo shoot in a WeWork. They did say, like, I wasn't allowed to, like, tag them or anything, but, um, well, yeah. So we did do a photo shoot in WeWork, and it really does provide a great setting for, like, that office space uh, use case. Very cool. Um, Okay, so if we were to give you a $50,000 grant that you don't have to pay back, uh, but you you would have to use it for your marketing, essentially... You know, where right now would you be putting that into your business to see the most growth? Yeah, making more content. Honestly, hiring like a videographer part-time or full-time. Like we edit all our TikToks right now uh, and it's great, but it's time consuming and it limits the number of TikToks we can make and it limits the number of dynamic like shots and things we can do. And having someone that's experienced 
locally that we can call on at any time to just like film everything and then create like a good narrative out of it, I think is, is priceless. So I think that's really where a lot of that money will go towards. And that's where a lot of our marketing dollars are going to go towards too. More so like video creation and content creation um, and just improving that rather than like, you know, spending all of it on ads, if that makes sense. That does. Uh, I'm just looking, the global bed and bedding market is $126 billion. Um, by 2026, they say. How big do you feel? Like, because you're you're sort of bridging couches and beds in a way. What do you feel like the market cap for a product like Pluffle is? Yeah, I remember I had an answer for this on on Shark Tank. Did like some calculation where like this many percentage of people nap, this many percentage of people own like dogs. I think I got to around like we could sell like a hundred million dollars worth of Pluffles, uh, relatively realistically, I think. And it's definitely possible if you look at companies like Comfy and those kind of companies, um, they've you know done that, if not more. Same with Corduroy as well, I think. They've done close to that, if not more. So I think that's like a realistic enough target that we you know keeps us motivated. It's not like totally out of the out of the world. Um, so yeah, that's that's our goal to do hundred million dollars in total revenue. And if you had total like uh, hypnosis to, you know, you can convince anyone to, to do anything, which uh, can you think of in, uh, any influencers or, or creators that you would like most like to align with your brand? That's a good question. Um, trying to think. We did actually have Kevin Jonas just DM us. Nice. <laughs> he wanted it for his kid's sleepover. So that's one He'd be good. person we might be able to work with. Um, other than that, I'm not sure. Like there's some really good like YouTubers out there. I feel like, you know, David Dobrik and like people like Mr. Beast and like Logan Paul and KSI, those people like, you know, those are not your traditional celebrities, but I think those are the celebrities that know how to capture consumer audience. So if you have any of those like aligned with you, you, they could sell anything. So yeah, that's, those are some people that I definitely, you know, if it would be my, it would be a dream to, to work with them in any capacity. I don't know why. I just I just have to think of celebrities that like love naps, and for some reason, I feel like Matthew McConaughey just loves a good <laughs> nap. And I feel like if you get Matthew McConaughey and a Pluffle, definitely yeah, game over. Lincoln Continental and Pluffle. Um, nice man. Well, this was a lot of fun. If uh, people want to know more about Pluffle, uh, where you recommend they go? Yeah, we are Pluffle. Everything we are Pluffle dot com at we are Pluffle on Instagram and TikTok. Um, just Pluffle on Facebook. Yeah, just you'll you'll find us. And any founders out there who are thinking about getting into content creation, follow Yuki's example and just start throwing out content on TikTok. Edit it yourself as you guys are doing. Build up that groundswell and then look at professionalizing it. I think so many people go into this idea of like, oh, I want to have a professionalized system like right off the hop. And I think you're living proof that you just want to kind of get, get going with it, bias towards action and get that content out there. 100%. Couldn't have said it better. Nice. All right. Thanks, Yuki. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumer, all one word, dot co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.